This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Progressive hair loss can be seen at both men and women. The most common type of hair loss is known as androgenetic. Other terms include male pattern hair loss and female pattern hair loss. For many people, losing their hair is a frustrating experience. Well, fortunately, treatments are available that can help to regrow hair or prevent further hair loss. Here to help us understand more about hair loss and tell us about the most current therapies is Dr. George Cozzarellis. He is the Milton Bixler Hartzell Professor of Dermatology at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also the chair of the Department of Dermatology at Penn and the director of the Hair and Scalp Clinic there. Dr. Cozzarellis is a pioneer and highly respected expert in the field of stem cell biology. He discovered the location of hair follicle stem cells and has been studying the hair follicle and seeing patients with hair loss for more than 30 years. Welcome, George. Thank you so much, Marianne. It's great mm-hmm. to be here. Well, I think it might be worthwhile to review some basic terms. Um, and my big question is the difference between thinning hair and shedding. But maybe we should start with what the, the definition, of, a simple definition of follicle and even the normal hair cycle in a few words. Sure. Yeah. So the hair follicle is a is what produces the hair, and it exists in the in the scalp and all over your body. But the ones on your scalp are, are bigger, and they make bigger and longer hairs. And each follicle, uh, as it produces a hair, the length of that hair is determined by how long that follicle stays in a growing stage. And um, for your scalp hair, that's years, right? It grows about six inches a year. And so for uh, you, you have over 100,000 follicles on your head, on your scalp, and those are all busy producing hair uh, for many years. But eventually, you know, your hair reaches a certain length and uh, stops growing, uh, and the follicle stops growing and um, goes into what we call a resting stage. And the hair 
can sit in that follicle for a few months before it comes out. And then it, it'll come out just like when you wash your hair or comb your hair, you see those hairs coming out and they have a little ball in the end. That's totally normal. And you lose about 50 to 100 hairs a day in that process. But those hairs then, those follicles go back into a growing stage and make a new hair. And that's kind of what we've been studying for a long time is the, the stem cells that are responsible for that regeneration of the hair uh, when it goes from a resting to a growing stage. Um, and mm -hmm. so it's one of the few little, we call it a mini organ in the body that um, actually degenerates and, and sort of dies, two thirds of it dies, and then it has to regenerate and make a new hair. So that's a fascinating sort of biological process. But but with respect to what people care about, it's a lot of what they care about is when that hair comes out, right? When the hair is, is uh, shed. And so um, uh, sort of a, what you alluded to is what, one of the first things I ask is, is, is the hair shedding or, or thinning? And that's because um, I said you can lose 50 to 100 hairs a day normally, but there are times and uh, events that can occur that can prematurely push those hair follicles into a resting stage, and then you get increased hair shedding. So instead of 50 or 100, you might get 200 or 300 hairs or even more coming out per day. And that that can be triggered by a lot of different types of things, and that's called telogen effluvium, which is just a descriptive term that, that means hair shedding. And most people recover from that, let their hair regrows. But, um, and we'll get into reasons why, why it can happen, but um, uh, that, when that follicle cycles and the, hair, the, the new hair has to grow in, in people that have the genetic predisposition, that's an opportunity for that follicle to miniaturize and become a little bit smaller. So then when the new hair comes in, it's a little bit smaller than the, than the previous hair. And that's what happens in the androgenetic alopecia that you were talking about, male pattern baldness, female pattern hair loss. And so that miniaturization process is what we try to inhibit um, with, with treatments. Uh, and, and we also, uh, as that happens, you end up having a shorter <laughs> growing phase and more, fo more follicles in a resting phase. And, and so another goal of treatment is to, to push those resting hair follicles in a growing stage so that they make a new hair. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned so many important uh, features of hair growth process, and you do it so well. The follicle, I always picture that when you look at a diagram, it almost looks like a vase that holds flowers. And you, you picture the, the shaft of hair as a stem, a stem of a flower. And so each mm -hmm. one of those follicles is a unit for hair growth. And that is the magical spot, um, I guess, under your skin where the blood supply is. And that's, we're going to talk later about your research, but is that the area where you found stem cells? So it was in a, a specific part of the follicle and it was kind of in an unexpected area because it was up higher than we used to think. And the area where we found them is, is called the bulge. And, and that, that's uh, because it sort of sticks out on, on the hair follicle and looks like a little bulge. And, and that area has these cells that don't divide very often. They sit there very quietly, but then when they're called upon to make a new lower follicle, they, they do divide and they give a, they give rise to progeny or daughter cells, which then proliferate very quickly. So the, the hair is being produced at a 
at a remarkable rate. Like the cells that are producing them are really um, one of the most rapidly dividing cell populations in your body. And uh, so, so anything that slows down that growth or shuts down those cells will then uh, inhibit hair growth or shut down hair growth. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting because each one of those follicles, um, and I guess you'd say there's a growth cycle and then there's a transitional cycle where, you know, I guess it's like the fall, <laughs> it would slow down a little bit so we can go into a resting cycle. And would you say probably 90% of those follicles are actively in a growth phase and then the 10% that aren't uh, are just chilling? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's about actually about 93% of the, the follicles are in a growing phase mm -hmm. and then about 7% are in a resting phase. But, you know, 7%, that's 7,000 follicles. You're not losing 7,000 hairs a day, right? So what that means is even during that resting stage, the hair that's not growing is is really firmly attached to that follicle, but it matures in there and eventually uh, sort of loosens and comes out. And, and that stimulates new growth as well. Um, so I, maybe I can even say at this point that when, peop when uh, people undergo this shedding or telogen effluvium, one of the sort of mistakes that they make is that they stop washing their hair because they feel as though when they wash it, they're losing a lot of hair. And so if they don't wash it, then maybe they won't lose that hair. So actually that kind of works against you because if, if you think about it, if you lose 50 or 100 hairs a day and you don't wash it for a week, mm -hmm. um, the hair tends to come out when you wash it, the majority of it. So, oh. so if you wait a week, then all those dead hairs kind of accumulate in there. And when you do wash it, you're going to lose more. And so uh, when you're losing even more than that, then that gets very, very distressing. So I encourage people mm -hmm. to, to wash their hair uh, every day, although it does depend on what type of hair you have uh, as far as the frequency of washing. But if you're undergoing this, this telogen effluvium, this shedding phenomenon, it's actually better to wash your hair more frequently. So it'd be great to focus on telogen effluvium. And for our listeners, when we talk about the stages of in the hair cycle, um, and our listeners, you don't have to remember these terms, but the antigen stage is the growth stage. And then catagen is kind of a transition stage. We don't have to go into that, but the telogen stage is that resting stage. So telogen effluvium means it's a form of diffuse hair loss. And we even put in the term non-scarring because that's a distinction we can make later as well. But it's such a big umbrella, George. Let's talk about telogen effluvium, meaning that point, the resting cycle. We want, as you say, we want those units of hair, of, um, you know, the little house the follicle where the hair lives, we want them to cooperate and hold on to that hair. We don't want them to fall out when they're not supposed to. So telogen effluvium, how would how would we describe yeah, that? Yeah, so those uh, those are that's right, those are the terms, antigen, catagen, telogen. And and telogen again refers to that resting stage. The follicle's not growing, the hair's not growing, but if the hair can is sitting in the follicle, waiting to, to mature and come out, and then a new hair comes in right behind it. And so um, normally, uh, mm -hmm. only a tiny percentage of, of follicles or, or of hairs are, are coming out every day. And, uh, the, that's because most of the hairs are growing. So when you pull on a hair, for example, you know, you gently pull on a hair and we'll do this in the, in, during an examination, it's called a hair pull. You just gently pull on hairs. Um, 
the ones that come out are the ones that are resting. They're they're called club hairs. You see that little ball on the end. You have to really pluck hard, and and it it hurts to pluck someone's hair out that's growing. That's an antigen hair. So it's a much deeper uh, structure. So in the um, so when you have uh, certain uh, factors that that push the follicles prematurely into a telogen stage, then you have more resting hair follicles and more hairs shedding at that same time. So what does that, right? So there are many, many different types of telogen effluvium. Maybe the most common one is after delivery of a baby, right? Most women will tell you um, that two to three months after delivering their baby, they had a, a significant amount of hair loss. And almost most of the time, again, it'll all regrow. But you have to be patient. It takes you know six months or a year for for the hair to really grow back. But but it does regrow, and that's that's a because it's a non-scarring process. And assuming you don't have uh, a genetic predisposition to female pattern hair loss, it's it's going to regrow. But there are many other factors as well um, that that can cause hair shedding. Uh, there are um, nutritional uh, issues that I find very common uh, in women, um, especially iron deficiency. That's one of the most common findings that I uh, make uh, in patients. And so <clears throat> you need to have uh, a normal level of iron and uh, minerals, zinc, vitamin D, because those cells that are so rapidly proliferating, making the hair, require all these things to be present. And uh, if you, if uh, in women, um, sort of the normal value for ferritin level or uh, the iron level is, is really a very wide range. And it's also the low end is, is very low. And it's, it's uh, probably, even if I see uh, women in the lower end of the normal range, I, I really assume that they're iron deficient because um, it's so common. And I, I've definitely seen cases where when I replenish their iron, you know, give them a supplement, the hair starts to, to regrow. And, and along with that, if you have another cause of, of uh, telogen effluvium, the hair is still going to regrow sluggishly if you're also iron deficient. So, so being iron deficient mm -hmm. kind of lowers the threshold for developing mm -hmm. hair shedding. So that, that's a very common problem in women. I've seen it in some men, too. Um, and, and there are many other causes too. Uh, uh, endocrinologic um, causes thyroid disease. Um, so we we do a battery of, of blood work, uh, looking at uh, the uh, status of the thyroid, um, whether there are excess uh, amounts of male types of hormones in, in women, um, and uh, we also look at. Uh, it, it's really like a detective. Uh, you know, when, when, when sure. <laughs> you're, you're trying to figure out what causes the, the hair shedding, um, it requires a pretty long history mm -hmm. taking, um, and some drugs can do it for sure too. Um, but if you look at the, at that, almost any drug, if you look it up, it's probably going to have hair loss listed as a possible side effect. And that's simply because when they did the clinical trial, somebody was re reporting that they had hair shedding because it's so common. But whether it's truly mm -hmm. uh, related to the drug, the only way you can really tell is by stopping the drug 
Uh, and then, of course, if that goes away, if, it, if the shedding stops, then restarting it and, and seeing if it sheds again. There, there aren't that many mm-hmm. drugs that really uh, uh, cause hair shedding, but certainly I've seen cases um, of beta blockers, for instance. Um, but again, they're very commonly used drugs, so it's, it's a very tiny fraction of patients that have hair shedding from, from those. Um, so I guess what people can picture is that instead of 10% of the follicles or those hair production units are um, at rest, it's, it can be as much as 35% of the production line that's asleep and um, people lose their hair, but it's reversible if you can be the detective that figures it out. And it's interesting, my GI doctor mind when I hear iron deficiency, so many women are told, well, it's you have heavy menstrual periods. What about celiac? And if it's celiac undetected, a lot of those people are low in iron and that's an autoimmune process. So then we say, could there be an autoimmune element to it? And the other thought that went through my mind is people with great emotional stress, sometimes people with a high fever. Yes. And, and so how does chemo fit into this? Unlike a beta blocker, is that a different uh, process than telogen effluvium or is that part of the same thing? Chemo is kind of a the most severe form. It's mm-hmm. actually called antigen effluvium because mm-hmm. you're essentially you're you're uh, stopping all those rapidly proliferating cells from prolif- from from dividing, right? So it just shuts all those cells down, like it is with the with the tumor, right? Which has more rapidly proliferating cells. So the chemo is kind of indiscriminately uh, hitting the rapidly proliferating cells, making the hair, and then mm-hmm. all those follicles go into a resting state at the same time, and you lose all the hair. Oh, so it's sort of the extreme, the extreme good point type. Yeah. We have a few seconds before the break, but I wanted to also make the distinction. You mentioned earlier that this is a non-scarring form of hair loss. What would be an example, um, we could carry it into the next segment, of a scarring form of hair loss? Yeah, the most common scarring hair loss is called uh, central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia, which is a horrible name. But cicatricial just means scar. And um, that occurs uh, quite commonly in, in black women uh, at, on the top of the scalp. And it's uh, centrifugal because it sort of spreads from the middle and goes outward. Oh. Uh, and that uh, can occur pretty early or, or later. And um, that's probably the most common type of scarring, but there are others as well. Stay with us during the break and learn more about hair loss. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're learning so much from Dr. George Cozzarellis about hair loss. He's the chair of dermatology at the University of Penn. What better source? George, let's talk about male pattern hair loss because that's something I guess people are not surprised about. And we're going to distinguish that from female pattern hair loss. Let's talk about men. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously very common. Everyone knows what male pattern baldness looks like. Um, 
and and you know of course uh and and men have different ways of of reacting to it i think one important aspect to bring up in both men and women is the emotional aspect of hair loss right it can it's really uh absolutely it's, it's a very emotional trying uh concern when you have hair loss you kind of have a sense of decay um having said that many many men and women uh deal with it uh very admirably and and uh don't let it don't let it affect their lives but there are also uh many many men and women who um have trouble uh, dealing with it and so there are approaches to take. Uh, so male pattern hair loss in, in a lot of ways is a little more straightforward than, than female uh, because um, the, the treatments, because uh, uh, essentially it's because we know that uh, what causes it. And that's that you need to have testosterone. You need to have a you know, male hormone circulating in order to, to develop male pattern hair loss. And, and there were even Hippocrates knew that that you had to have um, essentially uh, testosterone producing organs in order for uh, for uh, to go bald. And and there were studies a long time ago where it showed that men who were castrated stopped going bald. Right. So um, hmm. that's that's kind of a dra- that would be a drastic treatment. Most men wouldn't want to do that. Um, and what's interesting though, even if you castrate someone who is going bald. They don't necessarily regrow all their hair, so the the trigger for miniaturization of the hair follicle is the testosterone in men, and you have to have testosterone to miniaturize. But it doesn't mean you have an excess level of testosterone. It's just that the 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 follicle itself is just very sensitive to testosterone and will shrink uh, over time. It takes many many years for it to to miniaturize in most men. And, and of course, it can start at any age. It can start very early, right at puberty, or it can start much later in the 40s and even 50s. Uh, but the pattern is, is well known. The treatments are really uh, twofold um, medical. Medically, there are two approved drugs. Uh, one is minoxidil that's topical. Uh, also, the brand name is Rogaine that you apply uh, twice a day, and it comes in a uh, extra strength, uh, which is 5%. And um, I, I usually recommend the foam uh, that, that and not the liquid. The liquid has propylene glycol in it, and that can be very irritating to the scalp. So it's best to use uh, the foam formulation, which is uh, you just press on a little nozzle and a little a ball of foam comes out and you spread it uh, over your scalp uh, twice a day. And and that's a decent treatment at the... Uh, has a <clears throat> kind of a bad rap, I think, that uh, it's been around for a long time. And people, um, uh, you have to really make sure that the person understands how to use it and what the expectations are. So what I tell my patients is that um, if you start this today and I take a picture of your scalp and you come back in a year and it looks the same, that's a success because um, you've maintained the hair that you have. That's the goal. If you come back and you have yeah, if you come back and you have more hair, that's icing on the cake. That's a bonus, right? And that does happen. Some mm. people are very sensitive and, and regrow a lot of hair uh, with minoxidil. But most people will maintain what they have or just slow down the loss. That's also a success, right? But it, um, it, it, 
the other thing that's important to know is that you have to use it for at least six months um, to ha- to know whether it's working. It's not going to work in a, uh, overnight or in a few weeks. Uh, and in fact, in mm-hmm. the first two months, it can actually cause a little bit of excess shedding of the hair. So you have to know about that because some people will stop it when they see that because they think it's causing hair loss. The reason it does that is because it's pushing those resting hair follicles into a growing stage generating new hair and the old dead hair just has to come out. So that dead hair was going to come out anyway, but because you started using the minoxidil, that that uh, is synchronously pushing the hairs in a growing phase and you get a little bit of a shed. That's actually a good sign because it means it's working. Um, and see, just that explanation in itself, George, is so reassuring to people because I think we're living, and, and we can't help the runaway train, there's no delay in gratification in our in our culture anymore. And not none, but we're so used to being able to, if I have a question, Google it. Or if I want a meal, it's on my doorstep in an hour. Uh, I know I have cancer. When's, when 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 I go to start treatment? People are looking for, and we can't help it. We've just sort of, it's a runaway train, but I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But I wanted to say too, as you mentioned, you're encouraging more follicles to go back into that that growing phase. And um, that's a great explanation because you want to push the the old resting guys out of the way to make space for new new growth. Yeah, and, I- and I should, I was just going to say that Rogaine uh, was originally a blood pressure medicine so that people might recognize that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, minoxidil as a pill was used originally for blood pressure and people were noticing a lot of hair growth all over their bodies. And then a dermatologist had the idea of putting it on topically and that that's where that whole... Uh, that's where that came from. I, what I'm, I mean, I, you're absolutely right about, um, you know, people want something to work overnight. I'm always amazed at how people come in and, and they want me to give them something that will uh, make them better, but they're not even on the FDA approved medications. You know, they're, they're not willing to use the minoxidil. They, they think it's uh, too difficult. I think it doesn't work. You know, they go online and they get information and, but, Really, you have to use it. It's it's by definition that's the best treatment um, for uh, male pattern or female pattern hair loss, um, and that's important too, George. It is FDA approved, and with that, studies tell us you mentioned five percent concentration for men, the two percent for women, and we'll go into more detail with women. But women should not use the men's preparation, right? Because they don't want extra hair. On the face, neck. That no, that's not actually, uh, Marianne. Yeah, uh, so um, they actually did studies with the, the extra strength of five percent in women, and it's been approved for women, uh, but they only need to use it once a day. Once, yeah, yeah, and it works uh, very well. Uh, so um, they compared the five percent to the once a day to two percent twice a day, and they found that the five percent once a day worked work just as well, better, if not better. So there's really no reason to use the 2% actually. Um, And uh, the foams are all 5%. So all you have to remember is, is get the foam. Really doesn't matter whether you get the one for men or one for women, the packaging is different, but the, uh, but the stuff inside is exactly the same. So whatever is cheaper, you know, and you can use the generic um, minoxidil as well, or the Rogaine uh, brand. If I could sneak in one question, because we want to talk about the other treatments the, uh, as you said, you're the detective and you have to determine whether this is the classic androgen driven male pattern hair loss, which has an M shape. We used to memorize in med school that, that the hair loss almost looks like an M. Um, 
and distinguish it from other causes. So minoxidil, I meant to say, is the former is the blood pressure medication. Finasteride, tell us about that if you would. Yeah, so finasteride's a, a very interesting uh, drug. We know exactly how it works. It inhibits a very specific enzyme called 5-alpha reductase type 2. And uh, that enzyme is found in the, the prostate and the scalp and the liver. And um, by taking that pill, it's a pill, you block that enzyme, and that enzyme converts testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. So DHT, dihydrotestosterone, is more active than testosterone. You can think of it as binding to the, to the androgen receptor more strongly and activating it uh, more easily. So by, by blocking that enzyme, you're actually increasing the levels of testosterone by about 10% in your, your bloodstream. And the DHT goes down by about two-thirds, about 60 70%. And by, by blocking the DHT, you are slowing down that miniaturization process. Because remember, you need a DHT, you need the activation of the androgen receptor in order to get that miniaturization and, and male pattern uh, hair loss. So it's a very specific uh, drug. And, and by working on the prostate, you actually, it also, at a higher dose, is used for prostate enlargement, for BPH, for benign prostatic hypertrophy, so at a 5 milligram dose. But this uh, this is uh, the brand name is Propecia. It's finasteride one milligram that, that uh, works for for hair loss. Um, and uh, it, if you Google it, you'll you'll see all kinds of um, uh, potential uh, side effects from it. Mostly, the ones that get the most uh, attention have to do with decreased libido and uh, possibly impotence. Um, there are very good large clinical trials that were done early on to, in order for them to get uh, FDA approval. And um, those side effects um, did show up, but they were pretty minimal. Um, there was like a 0.3% uh, increase in, uh, in impotence, for example. And in every case, mm -hmm. when they stopped the drug, uh, those side effects went away. And that makes sense because that enzyme is being sure. produced all the time. And the half-life of finasteride is, is relatively short. There's also another mm -hmm. drug called dutasteride that uh, blocks both type 1 and type 2 of the 5-alpha reductases. That knocks down your DHT by like 99%. That, that one's a little bit more risky because it has a very long half-life, uh, months. So I don't really uh, recommend that one. Uh, mm -hmm. And we stick with the FDA-approved uh finasteride one Good milligram per day. We have about 30 seconds, George. Any um, success with laser therapy? Um, uh, no. Let me mention hair transplant, actually, because that's really uh, the next step after uh, minoxidil and finasteride. Um, that is a, is a really good treatment, moves hair from the back of the scalp to the front of the scalp. Uh, and if you can have some downtime and allow the hair to grow back, um, it can be quite uh, life-altering. Um, so I, I, I would go to that next. The lasers, laser caps, uh, nutritional, the uh, 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 PRP, really not much more of an effect than, um, than minoxidil. In fact, in my opinion, laser caps, I don't recommend laser caps. Mm -hmm. And PRP for our listeners is platelet-rich plasma, the people getting infusions thinking there might be a, a improvement with that, but that needs to be studied. 
Let's take a little break and we'll ask you to listen to Your Real Champion and then on return more about hair loss. And now for your real champion, I call this segment, the heart and soul of the Druding Center. Charles and Henry Druding came to America as teenagers from Klappenburg, Germany, and attended the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. They opened a pharmaceutical chemical plant at the corner of Lawrence and Master Street in 1877. Then they invented a process of tanning sheep and lambskin into an artificial version of chamois material an outstanding product which held 70% of the market at the time. By 1930, the brothers created a hospital for the 700 employees of their growing business. The Druding Infirmary was staffed by nurses who were sisters of the Holy Redeemer brought here from Austria through the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. As production grew, in 1958, operations moved to North Carolina and the factory in Philadelphia functioned as an old age home. In 1986, the family donated the Druding Infirmary to the Sisters of the Redeemer, who searched to find the greatest need in the community. The Sisters and the Drudings worked together, and in 1987, they formed Project Rainbow, the very first transitional housing center for women and children experiencing homelessness in Philadelphia. Families are referred by the Philadelphia Office of Homeless Services, The young parents are between 18 and 24 and have one or more children. There are 30 living units, which provide 12 to 18 months of shelter while also offering counseling needed to transition to permanent housing. Family advocates work side by side with parents to coordinate services that help their families heal from trauma, build resiliency, and gain access to housing, education, and employment. In addition, The Druding Rental Assistance Program offers decreasing rent subsidy over four years. Together with trauma-informed services, these solutions have a lasting and cumulative effect. The Druding Center is also a certified site of the sanctuary model and the very first and only transitional housing provider in Philadelphia to reach this milestone. This model provides a trauma-informed community that promotes safety and recovery and shifts the focus from past trauma to resiliency using shared language. In other words, the central question becomes, what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you? In 1989, childcare services were added. While parents in the residential program focus on work, school, or their emotional growth, children are safe and cared for in the on-site full day childcare center. Licensed to care for children ages six weeks to 10 years, children of former residents and from the local community can also attend the child care center. Community services are included. The center knows that formerly homeless families are more likely to succeed in permanent housing when they receive ongoing case management, goal planning, and assistance to access resources in their new communities. Keeping parents and children on the path to recovery and maintaining their housing, Project Rainbow follows families for up to seven years after they leave the transitional housing from the center. There's also the Green Light Food Pantry, healthy and nutritious food for residents, graduates, staff, and families from the community, along with cooking and nutrition classes. Well, this began 
as the story of a faith-filled family who served the community. But now you'll hear about the glue behind all these moving parts. Anne-Marie Collins. She experienced the joy of service during her Jesuit education at the University of Scranton. After college, she spent time as a Jesuit volunteer in Detroit and heard the call to become a social worker. So she returned to the University of Scranton for a master's degree in community counseling. And ever since she tossed that first stone into the pond, an infinite number of ripples have resulted. She arrived at the Druding Center in 1992 as a case manager, and she has served in multiple roles. Since 2004, she's been the executive director. Anne-Marie shies away from any credit and says that she has learned more from her clients, the young mothers, than she could ever have learned in school. She's grown tremendously as a person and professionally, and the organization has grown with her. The year 2022 marked the 35-year anniversary of the center. Anne-Marie proudly but humbly reports that the Druding Center has served more than 4,200 Philadelphia families during that time. She looks back and says her biggest personal lesson was being open to change and open to learning from others, especially the clients who are so resilient. And I quote, I think I'm having a bad day. Then I see what life has handed them. Everybody's measure of success is different, and you don't know what their story was. Anne-Marie has blazed the trail for 31 years, but what's also remarkable is her determination to measure her outcomes. The board has a quality and performance committee with metrics that assess what's working and what's not. But maybe the most important measure of her influence is the number of graduates from the center who return to visit and thank Anne-Marie and look at her as a permanent part of their families because she was there to embrace them at the most vulnerable time in their lives and lead them on the road to recovery. We salute you, Anne-Marie Collins, and all the staff and clients at the Druding Center, your real champions. Join this beautiful effort and share a few dollars or volunteer. The Druding Center, D-R-U-E, like blue, D-R-U-E, D-I-N-G Center. Phone number 215-769-1830. They're open 24 hours a day. Website, drudingcenter.org. D-R-U-E-D-I-N-G, drudingcenter.org. 215-769-1830. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor with our guest, Dr. George Cozzarellis from the University of Penn Dermatology. 
George, we were talking about male pattern hair loss, and now we'll talk about um, women. But I, I wanted to focus, if we could, for a minute on a rather common scarring form of hair loss, or alopecia is the word we use to refer to hair loss, yes. Scarring alopecia means it's not very hopeful, pretty much not going to come back. Alopecia areata, the little uh, circular hair loss that you think of with monks. That's non-scarring. Yeah, alopecia areata mm -hmm. is non-scarring. That's, that's the uh, sort of one thing we showed is that so alopecia areata is an autoimmune disorder. Your own immune system attacks the hair follicle. And what it does is actually pushes those hair follicles into a resting stage. And every time those follicles try to grow back, the immune system comes in and sort of stops those cells from doing that. And we showed, though, that the stem cells to the hair follicle are still there. So you always have the ability to regrow your hair. So in that sense, it's, it's non-scarring. Uh, but you have to suppress the immune response. You have to get rid of those immune cells and, and that allows the hair to grow. And there are different ways of doing that. The most common way, especially if it's just a few patches, uh, that I do hundreds of these uh, pretty much every week almost, I inject a little bit of cortisone uh, into the patches and that wipes away the inflammation and allows the hair to grow. You have to have that done almost every month in order mm. for, for it to persist. But then eventually that uh, immune system calms down and many people uh, just have one or two patches that regrow and then they never have another one. Others have uh, the ones that, that have more patches and, and continue to progress. They can actually lose all their hair. And that's called alopecia oh. totalis and, and oh. universal. And it occurs in kids. You know, you can imagine just how devastating that this can be. Absolutely. But we're lucky to have some new medications to treat the more extensive form or if it's very active and people are shedding a lot of uh, hair because of this. They're called JAK inhibitors, and there are a number of them now, a couple of them that are approved specifically for alopecia areata. And, and they've kind of really changed the landscape of how we treat this disorder. Um, they also, you know, there's always a risk uh, by suppressing the immune system that, um, that something will happen. And so it's hard to know how long to keep patients on these, you know, whether it's uh, okay to do Surely it's okay for a short, you know, at least even three years, five years. But beyond that, hard to know what the long-term effects are. So we have to be a little careful because they're relatively new drugs. and uh, But they are a game changer for people that have this uh, devastating disorder. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the other type of, the most common type of non-scarring alopecia is, is female pattern hair loss. And we started to, to talk about that a little bit. I just want to get back to that. Since we talked about the men, I think we, we need to talk about the women. And, sure. and that, uh, mm -hmm. people don't, I think many don't realize that almost 30% of women by the time they're 50 have some degree of female pattern hair loss. And it's not nearly as obvious as in men because generally women don't go bald. They just thin a lot on top of the scalp. And the very front part of the hair is usually retained, but right behind that, it can become quite thin and the part begins to widen with time. And so that's pretty common. <clears throat> Usually there's a family history of uh, male pattern or female pattern hair loss. And bo both men and women that have androgenetic, that's what that genetic means. You know, there's usually a family history. It doesn't come from just one side or the other. It can be either side. Um, <clears throat> and uh, 
the treatment in, in women is, is really the way I approach that is first to really optimize the conditions for growth. So it goes back to what we were talking about before, looking at that blood work, making sure the hormones are, in, are okay, making sure the nutritional state is okay, the iron levels are okay. Celiac disease, you mentioned, that's a really good one. I picked that up. You know, these things are, um, the hair is kind of a barometer for your overall health. And if you're losing weight very quickly, for example, that can really trigger that telogen effluvium or hair shedding as well. So you have to make sure all the conditions are, are ripe for, for regrowth. And then you use minoxidil topically, uh, for example, that uh, in, in women, same kind of deal. You can have increased hair shedding at first. Eventually you get to a point where the, it actually keeps the hair in a growing phase, the minoxidil. And so you go through periods where you're not shedding very much. And, and that's also a good sign. And again, uh, bring them back in a year, look at the picture. If it's the same, it's a success. If it's, uh, if it's thicker, then that's a, that's bonus. So um, also women have a lot of questions about whether hair coloring um, affects hair hair growth or, or what what they're doing. Women tend to do a lot with their hair, uh, and uh, many women will tolerate uh, things that cause pain. So what I what I tell them is, yes. if you feel any pain, that's a sign of damage, right? So you don't want to keep doing that because that can result in scarring because you you're pulling on the hair that gen causes inflammation, and, and then you actually scar down the hair follicle with mm. time. So you just want to be cognizant of what your body's telling you. If you're, if you're doing things that cause pain, you want to, you want to stop, or your hair stylist is doing it, you know, tell them to stop. Generally, though, uh, coloring the hair is, is pretty safe. If you bleach it or change the color drastically, you are weakening the hair itself, and it has a greater tendency to break off. But it's really not going to impact the growth of the hair, so there'll always be new hair growing in. Interesting uh, to replace that. Uh, perms, on the other hand, those are can be pretty rough chemicals. There are these Brazilian treatments, keratin treatments that, that oh. women use. The, you know, the if you see your uh, hairstylist having to wear a, a mask, a gas mask, you know, you know that that's a pretty strong. You know, they have formaldehyde in there and things. So. You have to be careful. Just use sort of common sense. Um, that if and those can cause uh, burning and, and damage in the skin. Right. So they're the kind of things that people really want to walk away with. Um, are there? Does the type of shampoo you use matter? No, they're probably all made with the active ingredient of soap or whatever it is, and then a little fluffier or more perfumed or something. But the damage can come from perms or. Uh, keratinizing uh, treatments, as you say, but hair coloring itself, um, especially if you see people that uh, do their hair a certain color for a cause, like pink in October or something, that's going to brutalize the hair that's already out, but probably not too nasty to the hair follicle itself. So that temporary kind of attack is, is more tolerable. Um, I wanted to revisit the genetic component because we had a great conversation last week, George, and I thank you for your time. And we talked about what we would cover today and men are more, maybe 50% of men might experience some hair loss is, is relatively common. Um, whereas women, it's more external, uh, factors as we're discussing. And I was thinking to myself, you sit in the hairdresser and, uh, have your hair cut and blown dry. And does the process of blowing your hair out, as you say, it's going to pull on some of those hairs so you say we should wash our hair every day. What if you blow your hair dry every day? Is that yeah, uh, negating the positive? 
No, I, I, I think um, ju just you don't, you don't want to use very high heat. You know, you don't want to do things that are going to damage the hair itself and, and dry it out, yeah. make it brittle and have it break off. Um, but you can use hair dye uh, safely. Uh, but again, uh, bleaching, things that cause any kind of pain or, or a sign of injury. There is something called traction alopecia. Um, oh, where, yes. You know, Dimension. the cornrow, the hair, you know, and, and the black community, they little girls get their hair uh, cornrowed very. And if it's too tight, if you can't put your pinky in there, um, it's probably too tight. And that can lead to some permanent scarring hair loss around the periphery of the scalp. And in fact, like Venus Williams, mm -hmm. Serena Williams, if you look at them, they wear the, the braids and the beads and stuff. And that's really yeah. putting a lot of traction on their hair. And they can, they have a little bit of, they have some traction alopecia. So you just have to be careful yeah. with that. But And, that, and yeah. that's different than people that wear their hair back in a tight, well, is it? Like people that wear their hair back in a tight ponytail, that's, you know, a look that a lot of people go for. But I guess if it's not they are 24-7. Ponytails are generally it's fine. Yeah, it's only those the, the types that are really it's super yeah, tight. Yeah, really putting a lot of traction. The other question, George, we talk about men being more uh, genetically predisposed. In med school, we memorized it was X-linked. So my father had a great head of hair. So I promised my son, you should be good to go, but not necessarily, right? It, it's not necessarily yeah. linked through the mom carrying it to her son's. But That's thank right. you, Daddy, for having hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean it can be, but uh, we we don't really know uh, the genetics behind. Yeah, it's not just limited to that. It's, it hasn't yeah. been, yeah, hasn't mm -hmm. been worked out. I, I should mention one other thing about female pattern. I'm sorry, and that's it's that okay. It's it's not uh, it's not a testosterone driven process, right? I mean it it, it can be if women happen to have. Uh, adrenal glands making a lot of uh, yeah. androgens, you know, you can definitely drive uh, female pattern and male pattern hair loss in women too as well. But in general, we don't understand exactly what's causing the female pattern hair loss. And it's really not androgens that's, that's the driver. Um, but so, so we, we don't have, we don't use finasteride for, for female pattern hair loss in general, especially in uh, women of childbearing age, because um, if they're taking finasteride while they're pregnant and they have a male baby, the, 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 there can be some birth defects. So, so it's a, it's uh, it don't recommend it for women of childbearing age, you know, unless they have other, sort of androgen types of problems like uh, polycystic ovaries. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that. But I, I generally check the blood work and, and look at their DHEAS levels. And if those are elevated or, or up uh, above mid-level normal, then I would then I use spironolactone, which you may have heard about. That's uh, also mild antihypertensive. Right. Um, but uh, it, it has an anti-androgen effect. It actually works for, for acne uh, and a, and a little bit for female pattern hair loss uh, mm -hmm. in in women. So for women, we reach for the minoxidil. The topical five percent is okay, but you're going to limit it to using once a day, whereas men mm -hmm. can use it twice a day. And then the anti-androgen effect that you can get from spironolactone, which is an old you know old fashioned water pill that spares potassium, um, and that that's a good secondary. That's an oral treatment that that um, has proven helpful uh, for but, women. Yes, for women, but definitely not to use it if you're trying to conceive a baby or if you're pregnant because it could really cause uh, serious birth defects, especially if you're carrying a male baby. So again, how do you make the diagnosis? Uh, I guess you just go down your algorithm checklist. 
Well, yeah, uh, just to be clear there, the finasteride is what women, you don't want pregnant women to take. The spironolactone is not as dangerous as, as that. So, uh, but, but again, you don't really want to take any kind of medication during pregnancy unless you absolutely have to. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, uh, sometimes, uh, especially early on in women, it's very hard to know whether they have female pattern. And the best uh, diagnostic tool that we have is a scalp biopsy. Um, so when you, uh, we can actually numb up a, a little part of the scalp when we take out a little four millimeter punch, uh, biopsy, like a little cookie cutter, put in one stitch to close it. And then we send that off to the lab and we get all kinds of useful information. We have a dramatic, especially if it's done correctly, it's not always processed correctly, but here at Penn, we definitely do these something called horizontal sections. And there's dermatopathologist John Sakura who who reads these, and um, they they really can tell you. It's the gold standard for diagnosis. It tells you whether there's how many big hairs there are and little hairs, and that ratio tells you if you have female pattern hair loss, or um, it can tell you if you have alopecia or inflammation, and it can tell you how many what percent of the follicles are resting. We were talking about that should be 7%. If it's elevated, you know, then you know you have telogen effluvium. So that's the gold standard of, of diagnosis. And it, it's valuable to have one if, if um, the diagnosis isn't clear. So for people to visualize, a punch biopsy means we put a, we insert a needle and get a core of tissue, but you're offering with a horizontal, you're looking at a bigger piece of the chessboard and you're taking uh, a cross section, so you can look at numbers. And I want to repeat. Thank you for correcting me because we said the first uh, line of therapy is minoxidil for men and for women. The second for men is finasteride. <laughs> but since that could cause uh, birth defects, we go instead of finasteride for women, we go to spironolactone. Let's just take a little break, and we'll be back for a wrap up in just a few minutes. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this Your Weekly Prescription. Dr. George Cozzarellas, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. We've learned so much about hair loss and really you're providing such hope to people knowing that there are treatments available and you are at the center of the think tank with stem cell research. What's your take home message for our listeners? Oh, thanks so much, Marianne. It's really been a pleasure. I think I just want to stress a couple of things. One is that um, it is important uh, if you're having hair loss to see a dermatologist and, and be evaluated. Um, it's, it's again, can be an indication of, of lots of things that are going on. Uh, but the other thing is that there has been, and there continues to be a, a lot of research going on in this area. And so I think there will be uh, treatments that are uh, become available with time. It's just hard to predict exactly when. But for example, we mentioned hair transplantation. That's a a surgical procedure where you're taking hair follicles from the back of the scalp and moving them to the front of the scalp, and they retain their what's called the donor characteristics. So, because they're coming from the back of the scalp, 
uh, say in 30 years, you'll still have hair in the back of your scalp. And if you move it to the front, you'll actually still have hair where you move it to as well. And so <clears throat> the limitation of hair transplantation is that you r eventually can run out of a donor area, right? So you can go back and have mm. another procedure, but eventually you can run out of hair follicles to, to move around. And so you could imagine there may be a way uh, based on, on some uh, research that we've done on, on mice, um, you can actually get hair follicles to regenerate in a wound. So um, you could imagine where uh, as you take out those hair follicles from the back, you're essentially creating a wound. There should, there should oh. be a way of activating pathways to create new hair follicles in those areas that then you can keep transplanting. That's one scenario that's possible. Another one is this, this to actually regenerate hair follicles in the bald area directly. And again, this will, will likely involve some sort of um, manipulation or wounding of the skin uh, and then an addition of a factor that would get those cells to go down a hair follicle fate and make a hair follicle. And there are companies uh, working on this. We, we have data, uh, again, mostly uh, mice, but but also some evidence in humans that this occurs at a low level. So if we can enhance that, I think that'll be a, a future treatment. Um, there are also stem cell based treatments where um, you can. Uh, the idea is to to grow cells in a dish, which then you uh, put together and they form a little called an organoid that turns into a hair follicle. And, and you may be able to transplant those little organoids, which then make a new hair follicle. So that kind of a cell-based approach would be valuable in, in uh, cicatricial or scarring alopecias as well. So, uh, and then there are always new drugs. There are, uh, we found a, a prostaglandin pathway that's important for miniaturization, for example. So we're hoping that by targeting uh, these new molecular pathways that we're finding that will develop new treatments. So I uh, definitely want to leave you with, with that message. Well, I can't thank you enough, George, because we've, we know that hair loss, even if it's temporary, you, you talk to people undergoing therapy for cancer, and the first thing they talk about is the hair loss. Um, obviously, they're concerned that they have cancer in their body, but it is so um, important to people and their self-esteem and you've brought so much hope to people, especially with your continued work. So we thank you for that. And um, I hope I can have you back in the future as you make progress. Thank you very much, Marianne. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show and any of our shows again on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross and for support from Recovery Centers of America. Please follow us and like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and now Threads. Send us an email and tell us what topic you'd like to hear about, or tell us about a champion in your family or community. Send your email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Next week, Dr. Bruce Broad, Professor of Dermatology from Penn, to discuss tattoos and how to avoid the risks. Well, fall is here the magical time of year when Mother Nature puts on a majestic show of color and the crisp air to remind us that it's time to get back to our routine. I hope that hearing the weekly champion segment inspires you to make volunteering or making a donation become part of your routine. Every week you hear about a person who has faced a tremendous challenge with grace and courage or those who do great work in the community. 
Consider giving a gift of time, talent, or treasure where it's needed. Consider the Druding Center, 215-769-1830. This is your radio doctor wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre recorded.